Welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast, where we're helping you lead better every day. And now here's your host. Welcome to episode 93 of the Church Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Day, and I'm excited because today I have Glenn Powell and Paul Caminiti here in the studio with me. Both Glenn and Paul have a long professional history focusing on the Bible. Glenn has worked in Bible ministry for 28 years, publishing, researching, speaking, and writing on the topic of reading and living the Bible well. Paul has been a cultural innovator for the Bible for over two decades. He served as the Bible publisher at Zondervan and vice president of Bible engagement at Biblica. Today, they are part of the Institute for Bible Reading, which is an organization that was created to give people tools and frameworks that fundamentally change the way they read the Bible so it can achieve its mission and become the story that defines their lives. Their efforts have helped over 6 million people experience the Bible in fresh new ways. On today's episode, we're exploring the growing issue of biblical illiteracy. Glenn and Paul provide some incredible insights, including the fact that the causes of biblical illiteracy cannot just be pinned on our contemporary culture, but the roots go back some 500 years. Curious? Learn why, as well as some practical ways pastors can address biblical illiteracy as you listen in on our conversation. Glenn and Paul, welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast. So glad to have both of you guys with us here in the studio, actually. Certainly appreciate you being here. Glad to be part of this, and uh, Outreach Megaphone is, uh, is a big deal, and we're happy to be talking into it today. Thank you. Thank you, Jason. It is a, a joy to be with you, and I appreciate your good work, and uh, important to reach pastors and, and talk about how to make the faith come alive in our world today. Excellent. Yes. So the Bible is not only the best-selling book of all time, it is also the best-selling book every single year. Yet the issue of biblical illiteracy has really come to the forefront in much of the recent research we've been seeing, so much so that many of the best resources created for pastors and church leaders are talking about it. I mean, this is kind of current conversation now. I know that Outreach Magazine is dedicating a lot of space to the topic of biblical illiteracy in their upcoming May-June issue. So we have this best-selling Bible. We have more access to the Bible than ever before. Yet at the same time, we're becoming less and less biblically literate. Glenn and Paul, can you begin by kind of painting us a picture of where we've been in recent history and where we are right now when it comes to biblical literacy? I would begin by saying I I think it is an increasingly recognized fact that the Bible is failing in the churches, not just in the culture, but in our churches, that for all the things that would seem to be positive, things you mentioned, like increased access, more scholarly resources than ever on all this stuff related to the Bible. We have more help with the Bible than ever before. Great translations. You would think everything is in place for the Bible to be winning in the church, to be deeply known, lived, and, and a huge force in our life and in our culture in the church, but it's not happening. I heard the phrase recently that people are trying to live a Bible-less Christianity, trying to just live the faith without really knowing the Bible, not, not operating within a biblical framework at all. So clearly, something is broken. Something is not working with the Bible. There's an increasing recognition of that, and I think there are lots of factors that go into that. What's, what's kind of happening as far as, you know, some data points, some of the surveys? I know you guys have, have been involved in a lot of those things over the years and looking at what's happening kind of right now. Where are we exactly? 
So what Glenn was saying is that that the Bible isn't flourishing, not only in the culture, but in the church, is somewhat quantifiable. Now, fortunately, George Gallup began measuring some of this in the mid-1980s, and what we discovered is that we, in essence, lose about 700 Bible readers every single day. So these were people who, at one point in time, felt like the Bible was significant, should be a meaningful part of their life that have put it aside. And as we say to pastors when we get an opportunity to to talk to them, if we were any other organization, let's say P.F. Chang's, and discovered that 700 people every day said, I think I've had my last Chinese meal, all the stockholders would be concerned about the enterprise. And so, um, you know, the, the reality is, is that by the year 2040, so really about 25 years from now, unless those numbers move in a different direction, two-thirds of North Americans will have absolutely no meaningful uh, engagement with the Bible. And as I heard George Gallup say to a small group of us that were gathered together that think about these things, he said, don't think that this will take 50 to 100 years for this to happen. This can happen very, very quickly. And what we'll be left with is a situation very similar to what we have in Europe with single digit um, attendance and our whole Christian world will look very different. Yeah, related to that, there are some other numbers that are interesting. I mean, part of this is is access, so there's that part. So how many, how often do people actually encounter something in the Bible? There was a big study out of Purdue University about how many people open a Bible outside of a church service a week, and that was that was very low. But then there's the other aspects of this. Part of that is what are the attitudes toward the Bible? It's not just biblical literacy, how much are people reading, how much are they understanding, what do they know about the Bible. Barnett and Gallup both have kind of chronicled the decline in that arena. But there's also this issue of attitude, and it's very interesting. It used to be that culturally it was the Bible always rated very high. People had great things to say about the Bible even when they didn't read it. It was viewed as the good book, kind of had this stature culturally of something that we know is important. We we think we call it you know, it's it just has value. It's it's a holy Bible. That's interestingly changing. Every year, the American Bible Society, in partnership with the Barna Organization, issues something called the State of the Bible. And what's been happening there is, particularly among younger audiences, is that the attitude toward the Bible is changing. And younger people in particular, these were people who were 35 and under, the category saying, not only do we not read the Bible, for the most part, but we're not actually sure it's good for the culture at any rate. They've been hearing a narrative about the problem with the Bible, not just that it's old, but that it's anti-women, that it's in favor of violence. And there are other problems with the, the entire story, the, the practices, the worldview of the Bible. So younger people increasingly are saying, you know, we don't, we don't just think of the Bible as a good book that we don't read. We actually think we shouldn't be reading it. And we're, we don't think the Bible should be a force in our culture because it's a reactionary force. It's a negative thing. So this is an even increased problem that we face if we care about the Bible. And if we think the Bible is sent here from God on a mission to do something positive in our lives and in the life of the world, then we have an even bigger challenge to get people to think differently about the Bible and then to encounter new practices where they, they come to know the story but also they need the tools for understanding a Bible that's rooted in an ancient world 
that we can't read anachronistically and read everything from the modern world back into this this ancient book. We have to understand it on its own terms. So there's a lot of work to be done in the church to not just correct Bible literacy, but I think Bible attitudes and expectations for what kind of book is this. If we're going to win um, the day, we're going to change the story of the Bible in our in the church and in the culture, we've got to do more than just pretend like we can give people Bible facts. We've got to give them all the tools to have a great experience and good understanding with the Bible, and then they can have a chance to say, how does it speak to our life today? Glenn, that's, that's fascinating because I think the, the biggest conversation that's been taking place around the Bible, uh, maybe for the last couple decades, has been an issue of relevancy. You know, the concern is that people do not see the Bible as being relevant. But what you're saying is we're actually beyond that. Now it's not just an irrelevance issue, but it's actually, as you say, kind of that attitude. It's almost a negative connotation around Scripture that is kind of permeating um, at least a lot of our younger people. Is that, is that what you're saying? Yeah, I think that's exactly what's happening. And so we've, we've kind of mischaracterized the problem, I think, today, and especially for the, the younger people in our, in our world, that they, they're dealing with a different narrative about the Bible than what we grew up with, than I grew up with, and we need to take that seriously. So we have a, we have a big challenge, but every challenge is an opportunity, and I think there's a chance to reintroduce the Bible to people in a way that surprises them and that deals with these actual objections to the Bible. Yeah, it's not all gloom and doom, and there actually is some encouraging data that's out there a lot of people talked about the reveal study which i think is maybe five years old now and one of the main uh, topics of discussion they asked a question what is it that you need most from your church so they queried about eighty thousand people and eighty seven percent given a, a choice a range of about twelve things do you do we need better preaching better programs for our young people better buildings, et cetera, 87% said, help me understand the Bible in depth. Wow. Now, not, not a coffee shop, you know, not hipper preachers, um, you know, help me understand the Bible in depth. One of the follow-up questions was, is your church helping you do that? And, and 19% said yes. So you had four out of five saying, for whatever reason, I have a sense that the intractable problems that we're facing today are not going to be solved by some superficial um, you know, answers. We're going to have to do the work of getting deep into this book. And somehow in that process, there's going to be healing and there's going to be a redemption that will take place. But then, you know, is it happening in, in your church? Well, churches have arguably good preaching and we've got tons of Bible studies, but there's a disconnect there somewhere. The beauty of this is that in this gap, there's, there's energy, pent-up energy. And if Christian leaders, pastors can tap into that in some way, they can harness that, that energy. We're not going to do it by the same old solutions. We're not going to do it by, in January, saying, go to the back table and get a reading plan and go to your sunroom and read through the Bible this year and really, really try hard this year. That isn't going to be the solution. There, there are going to have to be different approaches to that, innovative approaches to it. 
And and we've seen this happen though. We've when with that when that happens, there is real energy there. It can be tapped, and it's it's a a powerful thing when when that happens. Excellent. Before we jump into some maybe some practical solutions that you guys have witnessed yourselves, let's talk a little bit about why we are in the place we are when it comes to biblical illiteracy. I mean, is this a uh, phenomenon because of you know Google? technology, all of those types of things, you know, the world in which we live now where, you know, have short attention spans, all of that fun stuff. Is that, is that the culprit in this? Yeah, I think it's interesting. We, we have normally pointed the finger outside of the church and said, it's the culture that's against us. Um, technology has gotten harder to read. We live in a visual culture. There's all these cultural forces kind of working against good Bible reading and, and Bible literacy. But actually, the more we've looked into it, we think that some of the problem is within the church itself, and specifically, historically, what the church has done with the Bible in the modern period. This is something that doesn't get talked about very much, but I think it's a huge factor, and that is that a new kind of Bible was born in the modern period. Uh, We changed what the Bible was, and as a result of that, the Bible has changed in terms of what people do with it. And what I'm talking about is specifically the visual form. It's very interesting that historically, that right at the moment that Bibles became available to the masses during the period of the Reformation, printing press had been invented just 100 years before, so now people are printing books and can buy more books for themselves. There's this translation revolution, German, right? Martin Luther's bringing the Bible into the language of the people. There are English Bibles, you know, being born. And, and so there's this whole movement is starting, getting Bibles to people. But it also happens to be exactly historically when chapters and verses were put into the Bible together for the very first time, 16th century. So the very first Bible that was available to the masses in their own language that they could read without a priest reading it to them and interpreting everything for them during the Reformation is a chapter and verse Bible that is completely fragmented with every single verse being set apart as a separate paragraph, even if it's in the middle of a sentence. And this immediately cut on. It started with the Geneva Bible in the 1550s. And then all the Bibles that you see that come after that start adopting this practice of chapters and verses. And it's been documented that the practices with the Bible changed at that time. It's very interesting that we started proof texting right at the time when the Bible was in a form, if this is a word, that was proof textable. Right? We, we fragmented the form, and people started picking out the in individual verses. They started lining them up to prove doctrines. They started reading those verses out of context. So all these, this new form of the Bible as a reference book rather than a reading book, I think we shouldn't be surprised that 500 years down the road um, that this has become our standard modern way, not the ancient way of using the Scripture, not the original way of using the Scripture, but our modern way of using the Scripture has been minimalistic. It's fragmented. It's, we, we live off of taking verses out of context. I know people, friends I have on Facebook, who live completely by just kind of rerunning a top 20 list of verses. And, and that seems to be the, the essence of kind of the, the meal that they're trying to get from Scripture. But it's really just a snack, and, and they've never learned what those verses mean in their full context. So we've gotten away from reading and understanding whole books, and we've kind of built this new format into the Bible, overlaid the Bible with this, and I think that's actually at the root of more of our problems with the Bible than we've been talking about. That's fascinating. So, so really, 
what's been happening in in the the 21st century may not be the biggest factor in biblical literacy. It could be something that's been contributing over the last 500 years, and we are just seeing it more and more and more present day. I think a way of saying that is that the problem was not birthed in post-modernity, but it probably has its origins and roots in the early modern era. And uh, to Glenn's point, when we took this Bible that was the beautiful genres that God uses to speak to us, and we reduced them to 30,000 scripturettes, it changed everything in terms of the way we think about the Bible and the way that we use it. And we've been able to identify three things that kind of rose out of the modern Bible with this artificial numbering system that's been laid over it. And let's face it, that became kind of like Pandora's box then, too. So we opened the door for foreign elements to be imposed, and along with that then came note systems and center column references and red letters and everything that identified this not as a book to be read or individual books to be read from cover to cover, but a reference book, a place where you look up disparate things and try to put them together to make sense of life. But the, the three bad habits then essentially then uh, that that grew out of the form is that we do read the Bible in fragments. If we give the Bible people in fragments, how are they going to read it? They're going to read it in fragments. And uh, one of the conversations that we had with Philip Yancey about this, he said, I think you guys are actually soft-pedaling this. He said, I think this is far more serious. He says, I would say that the modern church created an entire culture around Bible McNuggets <laughs> and assumed they were nutritious. Wow. I think that's what drives the church, you know, today. And then the second bad habit is, is that we read the Bible outside of its historical context. And so when you are reading a verse or two here or there, you have no sense of what the sweeping story is. So we have a generation that, that never took a romp through the big majestic forest, but they've gotten focused on leaves and branches and individual trees, and that to them is the Bible. And then the third thing is then, because we could, we, we read the Bible in isolation. And you think about our lexicon. I have my private devotions. I have my quiet time. There really is no sense that this book, by its very nature, was a communal book. It was written to communities of faith, not to individuals. And that it should be experienced in community. And so uh, it, it uh, has ended up being a book that is, for me, about my personal relationship with God. Even our applying of the scriptures doesn't say, how should we live differently? It's always about how should I live differently? So, you know, out of the bad form uh, grew these bad habits. It's fascinating. So if this has been a a problem that's been developing for some 500 years now, right? You, we're, we're really kind of swimming against this, the current right now. What is something practical. We have a lot of pastors, church leaders that listen to our podcast. What is something practical that we can do as ministry leaders to kind of address this? How, you know, where, where do we go from here? Yeah. Well, the one thing we've been doing as the Institute for Bible Reading is talking to Bible publishers and trying to have a ministry of influence first. And happily, um, I can report that there are more and more readers editions coming out. And this is a great step forward for the Bible. And I think it's the first step toward a recovery of the Bible to a flourishing life in our churches is to have people encounter a text without all the modern additives. 
So a reader's edition is a single column text without chapters and verse numbers, without center column references, without footnotes, section headings, kind of all the stuff we put around a Bible that makes it look like an encyclopedia. And instead, it's a clean, readable edition. Um, Imagine a Bible where letters look like letters and stories read like stories. Song lyrics look like song lyrics. You can see the poetry. You can see the Hebrew lines, the poetry kind of working together in the parallelism the way they were meant to do. So it's a reader's edition that invites people to experience the Bible at a bigger level, but also in a way that is true to what the Bible originally was, as a, a collection of different kinds of writings. So the thing to do, I think, is to, to go out and find a reader's edition encourage your congregation to be reading these kinds of editions and to adopt the practice we like to say in the Institute, read first and study second. I think we've always kind of, for a long time now, have developed a language that if you're serious about the Bible, you're in a Bible study or you study the Bible. Um, And I think Bible study is great. There's certainly a, a time and a place to go deep in a passage and even in a word and kind of get at the depths of all that But reading is the first and most natural thing to do with the Bible. So I think pastors and leaders can just kind of reverse the expectations in a church and say, um, whatever else you're doing, be reading the Bible, be reading whole books, feasting on the Bible rather than snacking on verses, creating a new language of of experiencing the Bible in bigger ways. And I think there are things to be done with um, being intentional about giving people new community-based Bible experiences rather than just solo sport where we know from the research that so many people are struggling to do it on their own. Now, the Institute for Bible Reading is involved now in developing a new way to kind of approach the Bible in community and and be reading the Bible as opposed to studying the Bible. And, And it's almost rather than a Bible study group, it's more of like a book club format. Can you talk a little bit about that, Paul? Yeah, I think part of our sense of calling is that there are a lot of people that are out there who are creating tools that look at the Bible through a microscope lens. So the Ten Commandments, you know, however many weeks study, the Beatitudes, John 3.16, the list goes on and on and on. There's very little out there that flips the lens and gives people the broad telescopic view. And that's what, what it, what's missing is, is the whole. And so the average person today you know, really can't see the forest for the trees. And so we're creating experiences uh, for people to, as whole congregations, take a romp through the big majestic forest. So we are partnering with Tyndale Publishing House to create a project called Immerse. It's going to be a three-year project that has two eight-week Bible reading bursts every year, one in the spring and one in the fall. And so starting with the New Testament, which we're calling Messiah, Beginnings, which is the Pentateuch, Kingdoms, which is Joshua through Kings, the Prophets, which are the Prophets, the Poets, and then the Chronicles, which of course is Israel's second history. But an entire church uh, can take this approach so that in a three-year span, your congregation has read through the entire Bible together in community. And we've tested this in some, primarily with the New Testament in, um, in churches, and the results have been fairly remarkable. So we, we set out to do this as a discipleship tool, 
but we discovered that we get discipleship plus. Evangelism is happening because people uh, are, will, will invite somebody to come to a book club where they would never invite them to come to a Bible study. When it's an unmediated conversation where people are invited to come in and talk about what did you see for the first time? Was there something that surprised you? Was there something that bothered you? You invite people to talk about something that bothered you and you know the conversations become alive. Jacob was called Israel because he wrestled with God. So we're trying to reintroduce wrestling into, uh, into the equation. But increased stewardship, increased uh, small groups are growing and so forth. So uh, this is something that isn't brand new. This is the next iteration of work that we've been doing for the last 10 years, and we're really excited to launch this starting in September. And if I could just add sure. one piece. Yeah, just to be clear, this is actually a six-volume Bible that will be published. So it's published in six volumes. So each book is not so overwhelming. So when somebody comes to the book club, they have a book that looks manageable for that eight weeks to read. And it's this gorgeous new typesetting, of single column, generous margins, well-designed space, kind of the natural literary sections, which our Bibles, we're used to our Bibles not showing us those things. So ancient letters had naturally three parts and our Bibles kind of gloss that over and put all the text together but now you'll see the, the opening of Paul's ancient letter to the churches, and then you'll get the body of the text, and then you'll get the ending. And this is true across the Bible. People are going to say, I never knew the Bible had all these things going on um, that now I can see just when I open the book. And I'm, it's just a text that's invitational. So it begins with this really great reading Bible, and then they have this new experience in community book club. It feels freeing to them. It's liberating. And I think people are, well, people are already reporting. They're just having the best experiences with the Bible that they've ever had. It's possible. That's, that's wonderful here because when we talk about all the kind of issues around biblical literacy, right, it almost makes us feel as, as ministry leaders like, well, what do we do now? This has been going on for, as we've been talking, 500 years, and it only seems to be getting progressively worse. This is a very practical way for us to step back and really, in a way, return to the Bible's initial intention in many ways, right? I mean, the form of what the Bible, the design, the actual design. Um, it's interesting. We talk a lot about how form leads to function. And if we've got the form of the Bible wrong, what I'm hearing you saying is then, then how the Bible has functioned in our life has been off. And so this is actually a return to the original form of Scripture and allow that to then inform our lives. That's a beautiful thing. Yeah, the, the beauty is is that when the reveal study first came out, it was almost like too good to be true, right? Nine out of ten people say, yeah, what I need most is the Bible, more Bible. And, and people were, were, you know, making fun of that. Uh, but when we have tested these ideas in churches in an eight-week period, invited people to read the entire New Testament, First of all, it's eminently doable. So if they're reading five days a week and they listen to our audio version, it averaged 29 minutes a day. So as we said to the pastors, tell your people, this is a sitcom a day, five days a week for eight weeks. We're not asking you to chew off your right arm. You know, this is, <laughs> you're, you're only being asked to be slightly heroic. And I think people are actually ready to be slightly heroic. I think they're ready to do something meaningful um, for their faith. What really has been brilliant is that we have been able to test the success rates, at least in terms of the number of people that finished, and it's north of 75%. So if an entire church 
takes this project on. Everybody's reading together. You've got the momentum of the crowd, the wisdom of the crowd working in everybody's favor. Three out of four people in a 10-week period actually read the whole New Testament in, in community. That isn't really the end game for us, um, finish rates. At the same time, it's significant that people are finishing. And then those that didn't finish within a 10-week period, the number jumps to over 90%. So this is eminently doable. It's happening. If you're a pastor, if you're a church leader, this is something that you can immediately do. And uh, you should know that your congregation is probably ready for you to take the leadership in this. Yeah, there seems to be that hunger there. That's excellent. Glenn, Paul, thank you so much for being with us here in the studio. We certainly appreciate all the fine work you guys are doing and really helping us to not just talk about Scripture and its importance in our lives, but really helping to develop tools and resources uh, that we as ministers can implement and to help us grow as pastors, but also help stretch our people as they learn to live live the Bible well in their lives. Thank you so much for being with us. Our pleasure. Thanks. Great to be here. Thanks again. You've been listening to the Church Leaders Podcast. For articles, videos, and free resources that will help you lead better every day, visit our website, churchleaders.com. Thanks for listening.